0: I'm Megan Skidmore, and welcome to the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt. I'm a woman, daughter, sister, spouse, mother, life coach, and person of faith on a mission to normalize asking questions and allowing doubts on a faith journey and all aspects of life. Join me as I bring this traditionally taboo topic out of the shadows of shame and into the light. I firmly believe we normalize through more talking and engaging in discussion. More talking peels back, exposes, and erases the layers of shame associated with asking questions and allowing doubts. When we are more authentic about our journey, we are more powerful because shame has no power in the face of authenticity. Welcome everyone to another episode of Beyond the Shadow of Doubt. I have Michael Soto with me here today and you are someone I have wanted to interview for quite some time and I'm so grateful for this opportunity to have you on my podcast. So welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Megan. I'm so happy to be with you, and I'm so sorry my schedule has been crazy. Thank you for putting up with that.
0: <laughs> no, no, don't apologize. You are busy for a reason. You do such yeah. good things, and and we are going to get to that in a, in a little bit. I'm I'm really looking forward to this chat. To start us off, I want to give you the floor to share with our listeners about you so they can get to know a little bit more who you are, where you're from origin story all those things and just Great.
1: okay uh, so my name is Michael Soto um, I am from Arizona um, and I still live in Arizona um, I was born and raised in Mesa uh, which is a, a very at least at the time was a very uh, LDS community a pretty conservative town a lot more rural than it is today um And I was raised in a pretty conservative family. And I was raised in the 80s and 90s. And so that was a really different world than today. Um, we didn't have the internet on demand 24 hours a day. <laughs> I didn't have okay. cell phones. Uh, it was just a really different time in a lot of ways than today. No social media. And so... You know, being uh the words, you know, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer weren't really said, except perhaps little kids calling each other's names or, you know, like mm-hmm. in a negative mm-hmm. context. Um and so I remember my first memories of gender, um, me telling my family that uh I was a little boy and that you know I wanted to grow up to be superman and you know, just had all these little plans and my family correcting me right my parents saying no that's not it and trying to uh teach me how to be a girl i guess and setting those expectations but it never felt right it always felt wrong mm-hmm. um it was something it's a time in my life that i call my drag years now uh, because it felt like a performance um and it never felt right um it was something where uh, I remember standing in the bathroom, looking at myself and saying my birth name over and over, trying to make it fit, and it just never fit. It just felt so bad, and there's nothing wrong with the name. It just wasn't my name. Um, and so, uh, you know, that was a challenge, but I didn't have language for it. Um, I didn't know how to tell my parents uh, who I am and and give them good information because we just didn't have it. Yeah. Um, and so I did the best I could. Um, I was, uh, definitely a tomboy. Uh, <laughs> I played a lot of sports. Um, I hated wearing anything that was even remotely girlish. Um, so Sundays, lots of fights about dresses, church, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> mm-hmm. lots of fights about school wardrobes, you know, just, it just never worked. Um, in fact, when I, uh, so to get my senior pictures, uh, which was a thing when I was, you kid, know, I don't know if it still is. Um, my mom really wanted senior pictures. I did not want senior pictures because I didn't like, you know, the way I looked and
0: mm-hmm. felt
1: and all of that. Um, and my mom had insisted that I had, that I had long hair, like for pretty much my whole childhood. I had once convinced my dad to cut it while I was at his house over the summer. And, was very mad about that in third grade so um, it was the best for me because i just looked like a little boy and so i had the best summer and like the best early fall in school but to get those senior pictures i made a deal with my mom i was like i will get them but only if you let me cut my hair however i want to um and so my senior year i had really short hair like not longer than it is now but not not terribly (laughs) Um, and uh uh that was you know hard for my parents i think they both were always trying to find ways to um make me feel and make themselves feel like it could still be a feminine haircut and that was not what i wanted um and then uh high school graduation i actually shaved my head bald for the first time (laughs) my my best friend shaved it yeah (laughs) i was so happy um and uh it was just sort of a you know me claiming my gender in any way that i could right and finding these ways to sort of assert a masculine gender um without having the language for being a trans person um And I, even littler, when I was really little uh, in elementary school, I think it was second grade, I had a teddy bear that I loved. And this teddy bear had a, a white, I was very little as a tiny kid. I'm still not very big. I'm five feet tall. Um, so I was tiny in second grade. Uh, this teddy bear had a white collared shirt that had little teddy bears on it. Um, and it had a, a tie, a red tie that went with it. And you know they both had teddy bears on them. And it, I always wanted to wear that. And so I took it off the teddy bear and I would put it in my backpack and sneak it to school and then change once I got to school. And I would wear my teddy bear shirt with the tie um, and then take it off that's before so I went cute. home. Cute. <laughs> I, I was real committed to uh, finding ways to express who I was, even under, you know, circumstances where that's just not what you did then, you know? Um, so. I uh, went to college. I uh, worked really hard and got a scholarship got a full ride. And I went to college. And that first year, I kind of felt like, you know, I was just really focused on school. I had always been really focused on school because I was from a poor family and knew that I would have to get scholarships if I wanted to go to college. Um, so, you know, I kind of. Tucked away. I didn't date or anything in high school. I was not interested in any of that. I was like, what are the activities and academics I need to do to get to college? Mm -hmm. Um and my freshman year I kind of sustained that and wasn't happy and thought about transferring to NYU. Um, and then instead decided to to leave and go to Europe and live in Italy. And that sounds like a good choice. (laughs) It was a great choice. It was exactly what I needed. It was just I needed distance, and I needed to see the world beyond Mesa and Tempe, Arizona, and and just experience some things as a young adult, right, and and grow up a little bit. And when I came out, uh, well, while I was there, I was visiting the Vatican, um, and I still didn't have a lot of language for LGBT people, um, Mm -hmm. because it just wasn't, you know, still wasn't really a part of my lexicon but I was at the Vatican in St. Peter's Basilica and I decided to spend the day praying instead of, you know, doing other stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray about how I feel. And I'm going to ask some scary questions of God because I just am not happy. You know, I feel like the life I'm supposed to lead is not the life that I'm leading and I need something to change. And And I've always felt like a different person inside. Right. And again, I still didn't have all the language. I didn't know a lot still. Um, But I spent the day praying and received just when I asked God, you know, what should I do? Just received the, the warmest, most wonderful feelings of like, you know, should it, when I was like, should I be the person that I know I am inside or keep doing this thing that feels so fake and just, it was overwhelming that I should be the person that I always knew I was and that I've always been. And I kind of didn't look back after that. So (laughs) I I started trying to learn and figure things out and, you know, try to do Mm -hmm. as much as I could. I really learned a lot more when I came back to to Arizona um, and I met, uh, LGBTQ students on campus mm-hmm. for the first time. Met my first trans person, and I still remember that She was awesome. Um, she was a guest speaker at like a LGBTQ meeting, and I just remember it, I didn't realize she was a trans person. I just thought she was a very tall woman. Everybody's tall to me, so you know, it's not not weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did not register at all. Um, and I remember holding the door open for everybody as we were kind of going in, and she stopped. Um, and she kind of looked at me and waited for me to like, you know, ignore her and walk in. And I just stood there and I was like, go, please go, go ahead. And mm-hmm. she started tearing up and she kind of like, you know, put her hand on my shoulder as as she walked in. And I could tell it meant a lot to her because she wasn't treated that way a lot. You know, well, people were mean to her. And
0: for sure, her,
1: yeah. And, you know, when she started talking and she said she was transgender and started describing her experience, I had this like light bulb moment where it's like, oh, my gosh, there's a word for someone like me. What?
0: Wow. I mean, it was amazing.
1: I was just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Like my whole body like lit up. I was so excited. And I talked to her so much after when she was so patient, so kind, <laughs> such a lovely human being. Um, and I finally had language for who I was and a path that I could start researching and looking into and figuring out and another trans person. And then I met more trans people and, you know, just never looked back, you know, and it just was a really, really important moment in my life that allowed me to actually be able to say, this is who I am. I'm Michael and I'm going to transition and be the person that I have always been on the inside, on the outside.
0: Wow, well, that is quite a story. <laughs> I I have heard you speak, and I've heard you yeah. interviewed on other podcasts, yeah. but I didn't know this story about you in St. Peter's Basilica.
1: Yeah, yeah, that so was a special you, moment.
0: You were raised Catholic?
1: No, I was raised LDS. yes. Um, I was oh. just in Italy, and uh, uh, okay. part of what I did was, you know, explored art and churches. Sure. And, yeah, well, yeah. Um, and, it's a beautiful, a beautiful church, beautiful basilica, and a, a, you know, clearly a very holy place. And so I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna spend some time praying here. I after that experience there, uh, actually, the gift shop for the basilica is on the roof of the basilica, so you take <laughs> stairs or an elevator up. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, and I I went and I bought a Saint Christopher's medal um, because yeah, it's like the patron saint of journeys. I think creative traveling. I was like, well, I'm traveling right now, but also I feel like there's a bigger journey ahead of me. And I wore that specific medal for a long time. Um, and until I lost it. Uh, but I also took Christopher as like my, um, transitioning name while I figured out my full legal name and it's still one of my middle names. So.
0: Wow. That is powerful. (laughs) Wow. Wow. So many, so many things, so many questions I have for you. Um, Thank you for for sharing and and giving us that kind of nutshell version. Um, It's no way to encapsulate somebody's life in five minutes. (laughs) But you mentioned your family, conservative area you grew up in, and the faith that you were raised. A primary goal of mine in starting this podcast is to normalize that. We all have questions and we all have doubts as part of a faith journey, regardless of our faith of origin. It doesn't need to be a shameful thing. Um, I found that often doubt and questions are seen as um, not okay, not good. It makes you less less than or not as good as. Um, and it means none of that unless we believe it, right? Um i'd like to ask you a few more questions about you know what role your this identity this Mm -hmm. this process that you were going through that you didn't have the language for but yet you knew what you felt inside what role did that play in your faith journey and when questions and doubts came up how did you navigate those
1: Um, I think that's such a great question. Um, and it played such a crucial role in my faith journey. I think in part because the LDS church is so, or the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is so gender specific, right. In terms of sort of, uh, everything from the classes you go to on Sunday to the roles you play within the church and family and society. And so those things never fit for me. And I, it was always like a, like wearing the itchiest, most awful sweater or like clothing that you could wear where you're just constantly irritated and frustrated and it hurts and it was uncomfortable and it never fit for me. And so I was constantly pushing against it. And because of that, I had a really hard time developing any sort of faith or relationship with God that wasn't just superficial, right? I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. But because there was this bear, there was a barrier between me and God, right? There was a barrier between me and a truly spiritual existence because it didn't fit. And because it was so just wrong for me, right? Those expectations of girlhood and uh, future womanhood and all of those things. Right. And so, and that was present all the time, um, especially in church. And so I had a very, very hard time in church. It was not something that I ever felt connected to as a child, I actually, uh, insisted I refused to go anymore once the uh, I got you know, there's at a certain age group kind of when you hit puberty, they segregate the uh-huh. boys and girls in terms of Sunday school and okay, and activities and all sorts of things. It's very divided. And I mean, my mom was so excited, you know, my dad was so excited, yeah. and I was like, absolutely not, I'm not going to do this. And I stopped going to church. I I just couldn't develop a relationship with God through that in that way. And it felt so wrong. And I'm not, I'm not good at lying. I'm not good at faking things. I'm not good at pretending. If something doesn't feel right for me, I just don't do it. And so, and that's always been true. And so I just stopped going. And that was really hard for my family. It was really hard for my parents. They did not understand. They were very upset. And I just focused on sort of secular life, right? I focused on excelling in school, excelling in sports, excelling in, you know, sort of in the, you know, like student government, right? I was like, okay, I'm just going to be the best I can at this thing that feels reasonably okay or okay enough. And that I know that I have to excel at to get to freedom as an adult. <laughs> so um, and it didn't really feel okay. It was, oh gosh the fights my mom and I had about dances. My mom is adorable. I love my mom. She lives with me now. She's the best. (laughs) And just, and one of my heroes, she's amazing. She taught me a lot about being a strong person about being a loving person. Um, But you know, she had a really different childhood than I did. She girl fit her, you know, woman has always fit her mom fit her. Like she loves all of that about her life. And she wanted me you know she was a cheerleader (laughs) she was you know she was she went to all the dances and had all the boyfriends and you know like just had a lovely time and she didn't understand why that didn't work for me and why i would get so upset and why it would hurt and i wasn't interested in it it was really really hard just because we had such different experiences in terms of that but something was really lovely about my mom uh you know, now she, she doesn't refer to me as uh, my, through my dead name or the wrong pronouns or anything like that. And she talks about me even in my childhood as being a little boy. And she will just be like, I, you know, sometimes she'll walk into the room and just be like, I don't know how I didn't like do the math and figure this out. (laughs) You know? And I'm like, well, mom, we didn't know, like we didn't have the resources we have today. You know.
0: Tell me, Michael, what does that mean to you? to have your mom do that
1: now so much so much my mom is just the best she's my hero i love her she is so supportive um she's so supportive of my work she's so supportive of me as the human being she's so supportive mm-hmm. of all my friends and community um she's my biggest champion um she's just awesome <laughs> and it means the world to me like that you know knowing that my mom is cheering me on it's just the best. And my my father, before he passed away, he was the same. Um, and just, you know, knowing that I could talk to them about my life, that I could have mm-hmm. them in my life, that we could share a life together, you know, that mm-hmm. it meant the world to me. Because when I came out at 19, uh, I really lost that for about 10 years until I was about 29 and started finding my way back slowly. And like, mm-hmm. they started finding their way back slowly. And we started asking each other questions and started putting love before judgment <laughs> and found our way back to each other. But yeah, having my parents support means the world to me. Yeah,
0: You know, I appreciate so much that you're being very candid. You've explained how things were earlier and that they weren't great. Your parents didn't understand and they were even disappointed.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That- and they were scared. They didn't know what it meant. You know, and I, and I think that's
0: that's so important to just say it to just yep. speak it and acknowledge that because I I'm sure that there are those listening who maybe are just now finding out how their um children I, their their identity might be different than what both the parents and the children thought it might yes, be and exactly this is like learning a new yeah. vocabulary a new oh yeah. I don't know. It's it's still very new, even though people who, who identify in this way have existed for many, many Never. years. Um yeah. they um the the words, the vocabulary has only been around for um, I was looking at a late 20th century, I think, according uh, to the human rights campaign. I was looking at their website earlier.
1: A little um, earlier than that but um in different forms the the first make, transition surgeries were in uh the early 1900s um, and so uh, but they were nothing like that th- I mean they were they were the pioneers of what they are today they weren't yeah. as advanced as today although right. our surgeries and things are still not very advanced so um, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot to do <laughs> yeah
0: so you said um the word barrier And that keeps ringing in my mind and in my heart. You said that when you hit that age of when the kids get divided by gender, Uh basically when they go into the youth programs, that's kind of where your journey paused, um, Uh stopped, pivoted. Uh I I don't know what word you would use, but there was a barrier you said for you developing, continuing to develop Uh faith that faith in God, a, a connection to God and extension your spirituality. I, I think this is such an important point to, right. to talk about. I don't know that those who are not in this space or who haven't right. spoken with somebody one-on-one uh, understand what that means. Can you help us better understand what you mean by barrier? I think I know, but I, for the benefit of our listeners, I would love if in, in your own words you share a Absolutely. little bit more.
1: Yeah, I can definitely do that. Um I I felt like there's a barrier between me and everything, right? I felt cut off from from God, from the church, from school, from my family because I could never truly let people all the way in right like I was actually known as a super shy kid and I'm someone who's given speeches in front of like 10,000 10,000 people now you know like I'm, I'm not a shy person at all <laughs> but I was known as a shy person because I didn't know how to let people see me right I didn't know how to invite people into who I was because there was always this barrier and I mean, I, I, again, I would look in the mirror and not recognize myself. Like, I, I don't think a lot of people understand what that feels like when you're like, that's not me. That can't be me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't recognize myself in the way other people saw me. I didn't recognize myself in the future. Other people saw for me. Um, I remember walking into I was at my grandmother's house with my mom and walking in, I was watching a movie with like all the guys in the family. We were all sitting in the living room watching a movie. And my mom and her sisters and sort of the girls in the family and the women were in the kitchen and the dining room mm-hmm. talking. And I walked in to get water or something like that. And they were like, come and sit with us. Come and bond. And I was like, no, thank you. I'm good. I'm going to go back and watch the movie. And like, you know, at one point they pulled me over and were like, you need to come and sit with us. And I was like, why? And they were like, well, you're one of us. And I was like, mm-hmm. no. And they were just like, well, someday that'll change for you. You're going to be a mom and a wife and want to be, you know, sort of a woman in the family. And I was like, absolutely not i was like that is not my future no thank you and i laughed and i was really angry and frustrated and they just kind of laughed you know and now i'm like yeah that wasn't my future (laughs) like i told you that i've told you that my whole life but nobody could see it you know and so in terms of like a relationship with god like i mean i couldn't invite anyone in so how can i invite god into my life right and like and i think this goes back to the asking questions thing like I wasn't encouraged to ask questions about my gender and I'm a very curious person. Questions is how I understand the world. So I think a good question is far better than knowing something Right when you can ask a really good question that's better than a statement. Um, So it wasn't until I started asking questions of God, of myself, of everyone, Um, you know, asking myself, who am I? Like, how do I want to, how do I want to be this person in the world? How am I going to make that happen, right? Like, how am I going to become the person, the the boy, the man that I am so that I can be seen by the world? And then how am I going to navigate the world that way, right? How am I going to navigate Mm -hmm. family and school and church and and spirituality and everything, jobs? And that just kind of opened the door, you know? Like, it was that prayer at St. Peter's that started an authentic relationship for me with God. Like that is the first time I felt seen and loved by God as myself. And that's a powerful feeling. That's a transformative feeling, (laughs) you know?
0: Well, I'm just, I'm so grateful that even though you had this experience early on in your youth, by the time you were in your late teens and you were traveling and you were in St. Peter's that you still felt moved to reach out to the Divine and you you took action you you said a prayer in the way that you knew how. obviously this barrier isn't a physical wall made of bricks or anything the way I see it and tell me if you see it differently it's it's a barrier that's created by by words words used to define socially define, the human experience in certain ways and at the time there wasn't one that described you yeah and so because everything was so grouped like you you mentioned by gender right there really wasn't a, a place a defined space for you to feel comfortable yeah acting being speaking living existing in a way that felt truly aligned for you
1: yeah absolutely
0: and i think that that means there's there's um that's an invitation Mm -hmm. for those that aren't necessarily in that space to create new spaces that perhaps don't currently exist or that we don't currently understand they well they are Already exist. It's it's a matter of of acknowledging that and yeah. um, and learning, um, listening like your parents did, loving and and embracing. Right. Um, yeah. What thoughts or suggestions, ideas do you have for families, for parents, yeah. in moving towards creating that um, more open, loving space?
1: know my best advice to parents is always do what you know how to do best love your kid no matter what make sure they know that they feel it and they see it every day and then help them you know parents are really really good at helping their kids understand the world by asking their kids questions you know by helping them see a trajectory through their life that results in a healthy adulthood right and a happy life and all of the things that they dream of and so I'd say do those things that you know how to do as a parent, right? When a little kid says to you, I'm going to be an astronaut when I grow up, and you sit down and say, That's great, honey. Tell me more about that, right? How are you going to get there? Uh, Do you want to go to Mars? Like, what school do you want to go to, right? Like, there's just a million things that as a parent you can do to. To support that child in their dream even if it's not what they ultimately become maybe they don't become an accountant or a, an astronaut but an accountant right <laughs> or whatever it is <laughs> but you can you know when they're passionate about being an astronaut you can put them in summer camp that has something to do with space or engineering or you know you can do all sorts of things and so i'd say do the same thing for kids if they come out as trans like if if your kid comes out and says you know mom and dad like I, I'm struggling with gender stuff. Like I think I might be trans. Um, I want to talk to you about that. Then just, you know, give them a big hug, <laughs> tell them you love them. You will always love them. And then say, let's talk about it. You know, what does that mean to you? You know, what does being trans mean for you? What's important for you, right? Where are you feeling uncomfortable in terms of gender? You know, for me, my hair was a big one, right? I had, I was made to have told that I needed to have long hair and not allowed to cut it. And that was very upsetting and frustrating for me, right? So we're close, you know, like dresses, not okay. Skirts, hated them. And so just being able to sit down and figure out what those pain points are for your kiddo, you know, for, for a kid that you know in your life, you're, as a parent or a kid in your family, because um, that can go a long way to alleviating some of the immediate pain, right? And helping kids in a safe way understand their gender in a way that feels supported and loved and where they feel cared about and safe Um, and that's what we really want right that's what we want for kids we want them to feel supported and safe and loved and like they can figure out who they want to be as adults you know in a safe way as children so that's really my biggest advice you know don't assume anything there's no one way to be trans there's also no one path to transitioning or to being a trans person and we, you know, as a society, transitioning people medically is new, you know, not, not socially. Um, we've had trans people in the world since as early as 7,000 BCE. That's our first evidence of trans people. But visible in the way we are today, it is very different, right? We are much more visible as a community. We've got language like we've talked about. We have transitions socially, legally, medically, And those things are relatively new. And so I would say when you get there, take it one step at a time, you know, just, there's no rush. There's your, as long as you are supporting your child, they're going to get through this, you know, and they're going to feel loved and supported. So one step at a time and just love that kid and be a great parent. Like, you know how to be.
0: So for those that are newer to the space, can you just briefly share the difference between social um, medical and the
1: Legal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so there's lots of things involved in transitioning uh, your gender, right? Uh, we, every single person that's born in this country, at least uh, when we are born, we get a birth certificate and we are uh, literally assigned a gender at birth. Everyone, the doctor looks at that baby as soon as they're born and says, that's a girl or "That's a boy and writes an M or an F accordingly on that birth certificate. We don't do blood testing for chromosomes, right? We don't do hormone testing or anything like that. So it's always based on a visual assessment. Mm -hmm. So um, then we, you know, everyone's got that throughout their life, right? That follows you into school, that follows you everywhere, right? That just like your name, right? Just like your social security number, your gender becomes um, not just something that uh, for a lot of folks, maybe helps you buy a birthday present or a Christmas present or, you know, clothing for that kiddo or uh, the haircut that they, that they have, those sorts of things. Um, But also the sports that they play, right. The teams that they're on (laughs) or, you know, the, all sorts of things, uh, the activities they do. And so to change that as a trans person, um, and I think this is like probably one of the best ways that parents can support their kids, um, if they come out as trans is to help them socially transition. Right. And so that can be as easy as changing pronouns that, you know, feel more comfortable for that kiddo um, using a different name, right. Using a name that, that feels good for them, helping them pick a name that feels good for them. Um, I had invited my parents to help me pick out a new name and to be a part of that process, but it was too early and they were too afraid and it was all too new and they declined. And that was sad for me. You know, I would have loved for my parents to, me find a name that worked for me and that felt like me so you know just being a part of those things with your kiddo um going to the department store and saying okay so we know you know maybe we know that uh suits you know don't work for you you know hon we're okay great but what does work for you Are do you want the frilly dresses with something a little you know less frilly a little a little less girly like you know what are these things right or dresses don't work for you what does and letting them try out and know, they're just close <laughs> let, let your kiddo try on some different styles some different clothes try on a different haircut you know having that conversation with their school with your family um with your church community and saying you know you knew this child as this um we are now using this name um mm-hmm. and these pronouns we're gonna ask you to respect that um as just a basic show of love and uh you know community for for our kiddo yeah. So th- that's really socially transitioning, right? It's kind of just like all of those things. It's really um, the gender expression, right? We all every single day uh, put on clothes and wear our hair in a certain way and do those sorts of things that help us feel like the world can understand us as gendered beings. So it's changing those things legal transition is very complicated oh my gosh friends it's a long process um i just for anyone that's wondering transitioning in always is a long and complicated process it's never something that's embarked on lightly um it's something that you know takes a lot of time energy resources all of that and so uh legal transition is changing your name um you know if, if you do change your name right if you maybe don't have a gender neutral name or Something like that, or a name that you feel comfortable with, changing a name, changing your gender marker, changing all of your bank accounts, right? Changing all, changing your social security card, changing your birth certificate, changing literally all of the documents, your school records, right? Your all of it, so that those records can actually follow you and it'll make sense <laughs> instead of it being you know, a totally is, different name. That
0: is not something folks take lightly or no. just decide on a whim.
1: No, not at all. It's a very expensive process. It's a very long process. There are so many steps to it. Um, You have to go in front of a judge for a lot of it, right? And you have to say, this is who I am and hope that that judge says nice things instead of saying mean things and allows you to do that. Um, And so... it it is a very long process. It takes a long time. It's exhausting. You know, it's just, I mean, literally anything that has your name on it or your gender marker, you have to change and any work records score, you know, contact former employers, if you're old enough or schools or it's a lot, the bureaucracy, it's that part. And then medical transition, this is different for everybody because all of our bodies are different, right? We all have different medical circumstances. We all are different people. And so Medical transition can be anything from uh, puberty blockers for young people. Um, and that typically is best. Um, it's seen, well, one, we don't have a lot of research on puberty blockers. So, this is uh, transgender healthcare in general needs a lot more research um, because we haven't had the same kind of resources dedicated to our holistic and whole health. And so, I want to see. Uh, medical trials, right? Real research, a transgender medical specialty, right? I've always known more about my healthcare than my doctors. And that's upsetting, right? Then my doctor should know more about my healthcare. <laughs> and so the oh, so puberty blockers, um, uh, which are typically for a shorter time, right? Cause those are only meant to be, they were developed for precocious puberty to only delay puberty for one or two years, really. And, um, and then uh, hormone replacement therapy which we call hrt for short Uh, for someone like me i'm a transgender man i was assigned female at birth and so um, i take testosterone still once a week Um, i do an intermuscular injection in my thigh um, and as a result i have a beard and a receding hairline as you can see (laughs) a deeper voice um, (laughs) different musculature um, all that sort of stuff so that's uh, for for trans women or trans girls, it's uh, estrogen, right? It's a fe- it's female hormone therapies. Um, and they you, you can do shots, you can do gels, you can do uh, pills, that sort of stuff. Um, so it's really it's taking medicine, um, but lots of us have a thyroid condition, uh, which I also take I take daily medicine for that. So you know, <laughs> this is the part of life sometimes. And then there are surgical options. So the surgeries, the hormone therapy, And the surgeries, what they do for trans people like me is they allow us to change our biological sex to the greatest extent possible that medical science allows at this point, right? That medical science has discovered so that our bodies and our sex can align with our gender identity um, so that we feel whole in our gender.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you very much for um, just being very specific. Yeah. What would your advice be for individuals, parents, mm-hmm. families who are on this journey and they are they can see ahead that this is going to be um, an area that might be in their path for whatever reason. Their kiddo wants to talk about it, explore it, um, sees it as a possibility, what advice, you know, because there, like you said, there isn't a lot of research about this. So, and yeah. unfortunately, I think there's also a lot of misinformation yes. and a lot of um misunderstandings.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What would be your advice for yeah. them to, you know, proceed, I guess?
1: Yeah. Um, first, I would say take a big, deep breath. It's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. Your kiddo is going to be great and happy and successful. I know trans people of every walk of life, of every profession. I know trans people that are parents, um, trans people that are you know, that are doctors, that are married, that are doing all sorts of things. Right? Like, we exist in every type of life. Um, and being trans doesn't mean that your child is going to have a bad life or a sad life or a scary life. Um, they can be totally fulfilled human beings like so many of us are, right? We're, we're people. Um, and so it's all about finding the right support and, the, and good information. And so there needs to be much more medical research. Uh, that's something I'm really big in advocating for right now, and trying to find more funding and resources and partners in that work. Um, because I want there to be good research someday, so we can we can look at it and not be afraid, um, and have really good medical processes, diagnostics, and procedures that allow trans people to be as healthy as we can possibly be throughout our entire lifetimes. Um, while we get to that, um, I would say, do research about the source that you're, you're looking into, right? Make sure that you are, um, reading and listening to and researching from experts, um, from people who understand, uh, what transitioning is and people who are trying to create the best outcome possible for trans kids and their families. We do live in kind of an odd time where, um, being trans uh, has become an issue that people on the far right and the far left are, are using to sort of create political tension, right, to create um, some strife. Uh, last year we had more anti-trans bills than ever going through state legislatures. And, you know, call me silly, but I think that uh, every human being, no matter our gender identity, um, it should be ourselves, our families, and our medical professionals that are making medical decisions um that's you know i don't need i don't need a, a state legislature involved in my thyroid healthcare care any more than i need them involved in my gender identity health care and so i'd say research make sure you're you're looking at good resources um, people that have your well-being in mind and take it one step at a time you know it's Just because your kiddo comes out to you today doesn't mean that you need to get them on puberty blockers or hormones or have surgery the next day. Um, In fact, that's just not going to be the process. That's not how it works. It's never how it works. And so um, you want to... You want to take it one step at a time in partnership and in um, in that parental role with your kiddo because you're their parent. You're responsible for their physical, mental, emotional well-being um, for their lives. And so don't abdicate that, right? Like be in that role, love your kid and guide them um, and do the things that, that make that help you all feel safe and whole right and that you can adjust to as a family that help you see each other and understand each other and love each other even more than you thought possible and so you know for some folks that'll mean just social transition while a child is under 18 right while a young person's under 18. for other folks it might mean something else but You know, have, start having conversations with your doctor, right? And find a doctor that knows what they're talking about, that has experience in this. Not to get, again, not to put your kid on a medical regimen right away, but so that you understand what could happen, what your options are. So your kid understands that. So you understand it. So if you decide at some point to do that, you can prepare as a family. And if you decide not to, you can prepare as a family, right? And so that your child, again and see a path for themselves from where they are when they come out all the way to when they turn 18 and after, right? Because, you know, maybe they they will wait to transition and your family will wait and the child will wait until they're over 18. But then they're going to have a lot of decisions to make, right? About transitioning. And I would want my kid to have knowledge and I would want to have that knowledge so that we're ready.
0: I think key to not allow fear to get in the way of educating yourself.
1: Yes, you, you education is so important. Sorry,
0: no, that's fine. You mentioned all of the trans bills nationwide, yeah. and I haven't mentioned this yet. You are heavily involved politically. You yes. are in the trenches, yep. fighting and for trans rights, raising awareness, all of the things. I know that you you've worked in a variety of positions of nonprofits yeah. who also mm-hmm. uh, Equality Arizona. Yep. One community, one community.
1: Yep. Yep. The equality and fairness coalition, all sorts of things. Yeah.
0: Quality and fairness. Can you just share a little bit more about that? I know there's no way to encapsulate that in, in the short (laughs) time that we have today, but just share a little bit about what you do and why it's important.
1: Absolutely. Um, I am a true believer in uh, representative democracy and in citizen civic participation. Um, I think that, you know, our government is only as good as we help it to be. And so I think that's really important for all people. And I'm super passionate about that for LGBT people and trans people in particular and our families. And so, I do everything from help to write legislation and then find um, either state legislators or members of Congress to run that bill and to help make it law, um, Mm -hmm. to working with everyday people to go and talk to those legislators and to their members of Congress to talk about why a bill like that or why a bill, once it's introduced, would improve their lives, would would be beneficial to, to them and to everyone. And so I'm a big believer in... A lot of the founding principles, or really all the founding principles, um, all the basic, you know, sort of founding principles of our nation, like fairness for all people, um, (laughs) you know, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, um, freedom of the individual to choose their life, right, and to to live a life according to their own dictates and consciousness. And so, for me as a trans person, that's what that's about for me, right? It's me being able to be authentically who I am, Mm -hmm. live according to my conscience and exist in this world in a way that makes me a better person and I hope helps to make the world a better place. And so um, I do a lot of grassroots uh, teaching of grassroots advocacy. Um, I do a lot of teaching in general about the civic system, about trans people, about LGBT people. I work at all levels of government. And so I'm always here to be a resource for different levels of government that want to make uh, strides in terms of LGBTQ inclusion and fairness and equality. I work mostly in red states. I really love working in red states. (laughs) I think it's it's a lot of fun, um, in part because it requires coalition building, right? You can't just work with one party. You've got to work with lots of different people from lots of different walks of life and build a strong coalition. So I love doing work that uh, brings in the faith community, right, that brings in the LGBTQ community, right, that brings in all kinds of different communities, to work on the same thing. Um, I love it when that happens. And so that's what being American is, right? We we don't have to live like each other to respect each other and to support each other's lives and rights. And I deeply believe in that and love the work that I get to do because of it.
0: Yeah, speaking of combining efforts of a faith community, a civic community, and all the communities, I interviewed Councilwoman Julie Spilsbury earlier this year. Ah, I um, love her. I highly <laughs> recommend episodes 35 and 36 but I know that you were a pivotal part of the work uh, that she shared about in my interview uh, with her and that was an amazing example of cooperative work in the city of Mesa Arizona any yeah. feel free to add anything about that specific bill and that work that you all worked yeah. on together
1: oh my gosh, that was one of the highlights of my career because I'm from Mesa. And so being a Mesa boy and getting to work with the councilwoman and work with the mayor, like just getting to do this work together to make Mesa a place where everybody can have a job, right, can have a home, um, can be a part of public life. That was so meaningful to me and beautiful and and, you know, I, I mean, the mayor's Republican, Councilman Spillsbury is a Republican, right? Like, it's, this was not a, an all-Democratic city council. And I love that because we get to sit down and say, what are our values? What do we care about as human beings? And then how do we write a law? that makes those values real right where we respect everyone um where we are advancing the the civil and human rights of lgbt people and advancing first amendment rights for all people right like how beautiful is that i mean it was, it's just the best kind of work for me because you get to help everybody right and you get to make those beautiful ideas that our nation's founded upon real for every single person um, and so I, I just I love working. I loved working in Mesa. I still love working in Mesa. Um, the councilwoman is one of the people that I respect the most in life because she didn't have to do this right She didn't have to vote for the non discrimination bill. And in fact, she had every reason to not, you know, because she it didn't affect her her family and her. You know, she had a lot of pressure um, from a, a minority of loud constituents to not support it. But she was brave and she knew it was the moral, the ethical, and the right thing to do. Yeah. and she's just like for you, me.
0: and just like you followed your heart in St. Yeah. Peter's Basilica, yes, Julie shares about how she absolutely followed yes. her heart in supporting yeah. that bill.
1: Yeah, that's a, she's just amazing. yeah,
0: yeah. There's yeah. so much heart and um so much um sacredness surrounding this work. Yeah. Ever since 1999, is my understanding, there has been a transgender day of remembrance. Yes. Can you share a little bit about that and what that means and why it exists and what it means to you?
1: Absolutely. So we're actually in uh, Trans Awareness Week right now, which is always the week leading up to Trans Day of Remembrance so like you said in 1999 it was the very first trans day Re- remembrance which is always november 20th of every single year yes and this memorial began for a very sad reason um there's a trans woman named rita hester who died because she was trans uh, and that's a horrific thing that's a horrible thing for anyone to kill someone just because of who they are you know that's a yeah. that's a hateful horrible thing it's a hate crime it's a hate act And this wonderful woman lost her life just because she's a trans woman. And so to moralize that, some of her friends and community got together in 1999 and said, we're going to remember her, we're going to do something tonight, we're going to do a vigil, we're going to say her name, and then we're going to start actually trying to track this because we don't know how many trans people this happens to. Does this happen to lots of trans people or just a few? And very sadly, what we found is that it happens to a lot of trans people, Um, even more than really we can count most years, because often, um, like in Arizona, where I live, uh, the laws in terms of uh, death certificates, if you haven't had bottom surgery, even if you've legally changed your gender, the the coroner can revert to your birth gender. Um, And so sometimes even on our death, we're not treated with respect and kindness, and so a project began essentially to try to track the, the lives that we lose to hate, to uh, horrible, horrible violence, senseless violence. And it started, uh, it, you know, we as a community started tracking it they're tracking it online i still remember the first website it was it was way back in the day so it was a really you know it was that kind of website that didn't have a lot of functions <laughs> um but we kept the list every year and they uh we track it globally now so we track it in the united states by state mm-hmm. uh, we track globally how many trans people are murdered for who they are and it's a terrifyingly big number and it's very scary um you know, I, I say a lot to people when they ask, what do trans people want? And I just say an average life expectancy. Like, we want to not die because of who we are. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, T- Transgender Day of Remembrance has always been very important to me. Um, I actually organized the first vigil that happened in Arizona in 2000. Um, and so it's always wow. been a day that's, I think, important to remember people who whose lives have been cut short for no reason. For senseless reasons and to remind us that we can do better and we should do better right if we i want that number to be zero someday and mm-hmm. so that's why i do what i do right that's why i talk about who i am why i do everything i can to support trans people in every phase of life and their families <laughs> uh, so that we can get that number to zero and so that trans people aren't murdered for who we are and we have that in other walks of life right we're seeing that in uh, with the October 7th terrorist attacks on Jewish people of Israel, right? This happens in life, but we want it stopped. We don't want people murdered for who they are. And so that's an important day. It's a sad day. Uh, if you go to a vigil, please take care of yourself and have a a self-care plan afterwards because it is it is hard to hear the names of people who have lost their lives in this way every year. Go with a friend or go with a family member and someone who loves you and supports you. Make yeah. sure to hug people, <laughs> you know. Like, take care of yes. yourself. But it's an important day.
0: Yeah, sobering reminder to yeah. just love. Yeah, yes. just love.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I love, love people over everything. Over by everything.
0: Over yes. fear, love, yeah. over hate. All of all of those things.
1: All of it, and you know, uh Bell Hooks, one of my favorite feminist scholars said that love is always an action and i love that because it is right when you love someone you show up for them right you show up in their lives you tell them you love them and then you show them and so it's a good day to show trans people that you love them and show everybody that you love them
0: i am so amazed and appreciative of all of the wealth of information you have offered today Thank you so much for your time. I know you are stretched. It took a few times for us to make this interview <laughs> happen. I, uh, So thank you. Thank you. Uh, a question I like to kind of wrap up with, with all yeah. my guests is it's, it's kind of a, a jumping point from the title of my podcast. What does it mean to you to live beyond the shadow of doubt?
1: Oh my gosh, that's a great question. You know, for me, what that means is to live fully committed to being who I am every single day and fully committed to what I feel I'm called to do. The work that I'm called to do in the world, the love that I feel called to give my family, my friends and community. It means showing up every day with a commitment to that and reminding myself how lucky I am to get to be who I am and do that kind of amazing work and be in relationship with the people that are in my life. I'm very blessed. I live an incredible life. And, you know, for me, being a trans person is a blessing from God. Uh, It's my purpose in this life. And I thank God every single day for making my life possible just as I am. That's what it means for me.
0: That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. So just going to throw out a few final questions. These are just for yeah. fun to get to know. I love it. I'm looking for okay. one word answers really just okay. Okay. for our listeners to get to know you. Tell me, tell us your favorite book.
1: Oh, it's a tie between The Fifth Sacred Thing and Once an Eagle. Very different books, but I love them both. Read them each every year.
0: Okay. I'll have to look those up. Okay. You, <laughs> you've already said this, I believe, but are you an introvert or an extrovert?
1: I am a hybrid of the two. I'm, in, <laughs> I'm very good at being an extrovert, especially in my work life and public life. Um, but I recharge alone. I, I like to sit in my office that has lots of books in it and cuddle with my dog to recharge.
0: <laughs> and do you have a favorite artist?
1: Oh, wow. Oh, so many. Oh, my gosh. That's so hard. Wow. Uh, I'm going
0: to say Michelangelo. Michelangelo.
1: Yeah, Michelangelo. That's a good one. A yeah. night owl, or are you a morning lark? I used to be a night owl, but I have become a morning lark. <laughs> <Okay, laughs> Particularly because I'm enough. often on a plane at five in the morning traveling around the country. <laughs> do
0: you do still or carbonated water, or do you do diet soda?
1: Carbonated water.
0: And do you have a celebrity crush?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great one. Oh, uh, I mean, probably Jennifer Lawrence and Brad Pitt. Those would both be a celebrity crush for me.
0: And the <laughs> furthest place that you have traveled?
1: Ooh, furthest place I've traveled. Um, probably Germany. Yeah,
0: that's a good one.
1: Yeah,
0: fun. I love Germany. <laughs> it's well, beautiful. If, if folks wanted to connect with you or reach yeah. out to you, how could yeah. they do that?
1: Uh, so you can you can reach me at Michael, and that's M I C H A E L at Equality and Fairness dot com and that's all spelled out um so you can reach me anytime you can also find me on social media i'm i'm not super active on social media but i do try to respond to messages on social media i don't post a lot just because i'm busy but i do check social media so yeah. Awesome, and that's awesome. usually Michael Estesoto.
0: <laughs> I will put that in the show notes. Michael, it has Yay. been just wonderful, such a pleasure uh, to have this chat with you. Thank you again.
1: Thank you, and thank you for being so patient and working with my schedule. And course, I just, always. I love the work you do. Thank you for doing what you do in the world, and thanks for having me. Absolutely.
0: Hopeful Spaces is a Dallas Hope Charities component of Hopeful Discussions, sponsored by Mercedes-Benz Financial Services USA. It's a free monthly parent, ally, or caregiver support group facilitated by Megan Skidmore Coaching. Email chc at dallashopecharities.org for more info. Beyond the Shadow of Doubt podcast is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, which is part of the Dialogue Journal found at DialogueJournal.com. Founder Eugene England was a Mormon writer, teacher, and scholar who wrote, My faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. My hope is that this podcast is an extension of that vision. Visit MeganSkidmoreCoaching.com to find this podcast and additional free resources, including the link for a complimentary coaching session. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram for more or to send me a DM. Help the podcast grow. Please follow, review, and share with a friend.